Fox News, the controlled opposition that we always knew they were, top story just broke a few hours ago. Joined by Cam Harless of the Mad Ones Podcast. Cam, how you doing? It's hot breaking news late at night. You ready to dive into it? I've never been more ready to hear about Fox News. I was on Fox News one time. I know. We're about to find out what they really are on the show today. They agreed to pay $778.5 million in a settlement agreement to uh, Dominion voting machines in the defamation case. I wonder how they come to that 0.5 conclusion there. I think that's half of what they were being sued for by Dominion. Here is Anderson Cooper explaining the story from their perspective, just very briefly. He doesn't ooze all over himself the way Jake Tapper did when he explained it, but he gives a nice little summary of how they're portraying this settlement. Good evening, Fox Blinked. On the day that Fox attorneys and the attorneys for Dominion Voting Systems, the company that was suing them for defamation, were to make opening statements in their $1.6 billion lawsuit, Fox decided to settle. $787.5 million. That's how much the Fox Corporation will pay. It's half of what Dominion says they were seeking, but a historic amount nonetheless. The Fox Corporation clearly deciding it was better to pay the money than have their star anchors try to explain under oath the election denialism and disinformation they either spread themselves or help spread by giving others who are lying a platform night after night after night. In a statement after the settlement was announced, Fox said, and I quote, We acknowledge the court's rulings, finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. The settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards. Now, I just want to repeat that. The first part of it said, we acknowledge the court's rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. That might sound sort of maybe like an apology, but it's not. They acknowledge the court ruling doesn't really mean anything, and their description that certain claims about Dominion were false is vague at best. As for the second part of that statement, that this settlement reflects Fox's continued commitment to the highest journalistic standards, as Mike Wallace used to say when interviewing someone shoveling crap, come on. If there is anything we learn from the depositions, texts, and emails that were released by Dominion in the lead up to this case, is that there was no commitment to even basic journalistic standards where the 2020 election was concerned. Mm. Fox... Fox anchors said one thing on air to the audience they feared might abandon them, go over to some other uh, more conservative news channel, and another thing off air in texts and emails to one another. Okay, that's enough of that. You get the basic premise. They've been spouting this propaganda for a while now. We played some clips from MSNBC last week. I encourage you to go watch that show from last Thursday if you want to see just how weak the case is because of the 
poor, poor propaganda they're spreading uh, about this. But a lot of irony in this clip coming from Anderson Cooper here. We have the network that continued to employ Jeffrey Tubin for well over a year after he masturbated on Zoom cam to a bunch of female colleagues, the same guy who tried to force his friend's daughter to have an abortion after he got her pregnant uh, using threats and whatnot. And he was their hashtag MeToo guy. And we have CNN tubing all over themselves, so to speak, over this case against their quote, rival uh, news organization. Here's my instant uh, reaction uh, on this news. Is Fox settling this case to me? If you weren't sure before, you're sure now. Fox News isn't your friend. They are what we've known them to be for a long time. They are controlled opposition. They threw this case, in my opinion. They settled because they knew that if they went to trial, they would win. Because there is no defamation here based on what we've seen. They continue to use this talking point about they said one thing privately and something different publicly. That is not evidence of defamation of anything. If defamation were saying something you don't believe on the news, then we could get rid of every single news network and Dominion possibly could sue them all. In fact, I'll show you a clip about CNN talking about Dominion here in a minute. There is no actual evidentiary uh, standard met here based on what we've seen. And I think it's so obvious that there is not defamation in this case that they couldn't even take it to trial and make it look like Fox lost because it it was going to be a public trial. It was going to be a show. And it would have been too obvious. So they had to settle. So the assumption could be that Fox was admitting guilt. A settlement is not guilt, by the way, even though that's how they're going to talk about it. Like, But what this is, I believe, is this is, this is a, a message, this case, with Fox News firmly part of the establishment. This is a message from the establishment that 2024 is coming up. And everybody be warned because questioning the almighty narrative could get you sued for defamation by the most powerful of the power players among us in Dominion. And even Fox, with all its money and resources, couldn't take them down. So what chance do little old you and I have? So we better shut up with all our questioning of elections or of Ukraine aid or anything else that goes against the mainstream agenda. Dominion voting machines. I I did a whole show on this. I think I did it with you, Cam, playing some of the, the clips. The company behind them was headed up or by this guy when the lawsuit was filed and when all this stuff went down. And I think it might even still be headed up by him. It's this British guy named Lord Mark Mollick. Mollick. He's, uh, uh, he's in all these you know, highfalutin British organizations and, and their councils and whatnot. He's also one of George Soros' best friends, and he is currently the president of the George Soros Open Society Foundation. Now, Lord Mollick, who... Uh, the media is now bowing. They're bowing to Lord Moloch, has spent the past four decades, his entire career, going around to various countries and aiding regime change by interfering in those countries' elections. And he's done it the past couple of decades by controlling the voting machines in those countries. And this dude brags about his deceptive exploits in interviews from the 80s when he talks about how fun it was to get his start. And even during his appearance at Davos a couple of months back when he was on one of those panels, and he talks about his manipulation and and swaying uh, of the elections in other countries. He's the guy behind the Dominion voting thing. Like I said, did a whole show on it. Check it out somewhere in the archives. I'll see if I can find it and link it in the show notes. This isn't a victory for free speech here at all. This is a threat from the establishment. 
Again, Fox News is part of it because they threw this case. If it went to trial, they would have absolutely won. I mean, you might recall the one guy who ran for president. I talked about him. Uh, I can't remember his name. I talked about him a few weeks ago. Ran from prison, I think, during World War II, or maybe it was World War I. I think it was World War I. And he was in prison because he was publicly outspoken against the war. So they put him in jail to silence him for questioning authority. We live in a time right now where Socrates would be called an election denier for doing the very thing history has admired him for doing for hundreds of years questioning authority. They'd kick him off YouTube if he dared challenge the assertion that the 2020 election was so perfect. He'd be categorized as the most dangerous among us. The people celebrating this would celebrate. They'd be at the trial of Socrates, celebrating his corruption of the youth charge, even knowing that he was going to die because of that charge. It's been hundreds of years since the days of Socrates, but how far have we really come? With that said, I want to get your reaction if you have any, and then I want, to, I want you to hear a clip, Cam, that uh, a friend sent me earlier today, which I, I think is hilarious in the context of what's going on. All I was going to say is it makes me think of, I've known a few people who have um, been accused of crimes, and like I know without a shadow of a doubt these people did not do these crimes, but they were offered a plea bargain uh, by the the you know the what's it called the um the district attorney right because the district attorney didn't feel they had enough evidence to convict them but they had enough to make it so they could cow them down and make them feel like they were going to lose no matter what right right and so the plea bargain came in when um the they the <laughs> plea bargains are when neither side feels like they can win and so i mean in the very least with uh oh, Fox, yeah or they, they are a threat from some like the january 6 plea bargains they're you know we're going to smear you right. we're going to make we're, you're either going to get life in prison right. and that's what i'm or, saying or yeah yeah that's totally. what i'm saying i think that 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 may also play a part is you know in in this way fox news is at least in the realm of you can't be sure they were guilty like there's 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 no airing it for the public, but the the threat that they had against them was absolute defamation to the point of them probably lose potentially losing some of their uh, market capital, but they're not going to now. Right. There's, you know, unless there's stuff that we haven't seen, and I'm sure there is. What they've showed us that the media has used to say that there's definitely defamation going on, although they've never actually connected it to the actual letter of the law. There is no defamation that went on based on everything right. that they've said are propaganda PR messaging that they're going to package you up as this is defamation. No, it's not. Actually, if you actually look at the letter of the law, no, it's not. Nothing they did was defamation right. based on what we've seen. And this is why. So I don't know who is pushing the, like when the lawyer gets the uh the plea deal or, or when fox decided they want to go try and seek a deal i don't know who's behind that i don't know if it's rupert murdoch whoever the, the people in charge of fox are, are you know they're not one side or the other they, they're 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 establishment so fox might have some anchors that says things that we agree with from time to time but the people pulling the strings at the top are are, are still in the same group of elites as those who pull the strings at the top of cnn msnbc all these others and i think that they see 2020 coming and in order to fit this narrative fox had to take a plea deal because going to trial 
Fox would have won, in my opinion, and it would have undermined the whole purpose of having this trial, which was to smear Fox and to silence anybody from questioning the 2020 election moving forward. Right. It's a fear tactic think, by I the think, establishment. Absolutely. I think regardless of what was going on, Fox had a lot to lose because, you know, discovery is not going to be pretty regardless of what goes on in these corporate media outlets. Like you're, you're not going to like Tucker, their, their highest stars may have said some stuff that they would release to the public. Suddenly they're not capable of making the money in the conservative circles that they once were like, it's, it's, it's all a mess and it's all against Fox regardless. So right. Taking yeah. The bargain was probably their best move, even outside of them being controlled opposition, which they absolutely are. I mean, for God's sake, Tucker, Love talking to him that one time, but he's definitely CIA. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah, his dad was a, a Voice of America propagandist. I, if there were like salacious details or really awful things in the discovery, then I, I think that it might have been in the best interest of Dominion and the mainstream media establishment if they were truly out to get Fox to bring all of that stuff out. I think that would have probably been better right. for them than the other because what this does is this makes people who believe Fox News get you know firm in harder like they're only gonna be more loyal to fox news and it's gonna make those who already think fox, fox news is fake and won't listen to anything completely disregard anybody who listens to fake. it just furthers the divide in this country and that's that's why i think this is a divide and rule controlled opposition thing going on and, and i want you to listen to this clip here from this is extraordinary this is from five years ago and I started it in the middle. I encourage you guys to watch the whole clip at some point. It's called We Watched Hackers Break Into Voting Machines. And this is a DEF CON hacking conference. And this is CNN Business, a CNN Business reporter who is doing this. This is on CNN's business YouTube page right now. Let me get it up on screen. And uh, sure the volume's up here. Let me know if you can or cannot hear this, too, so I can bump the volume up if you can't. It can be done, there's a chance it's already being done. If a nation state, a criminal organization, if they would start doing this, they would have stolen databases, they would have stolen machines, they would have manuals, they would have studied. They have started with nothing a few hours ago. The uphill battle they have fought to get where they are is incomprehensibly more difficult than what real criminal would need to do. Do you think that nation states, real criminals, have already have an idea of some of the vulnerabilities that are being discovered today? Absolutely. It's all documented. It's in public documents. It's, it's not hiding anywhere. You can go actually to Secretary of State websites and download and learn hundreds and hundreds of vulnerabilities. I should say these are Dominion voting machines that this hackathon is, is breaking into. By the end of the weekend... All of the available machines had been hacked successfully, including an electronic poll book system that still contained the personal data of over 650,000 Tennessee voters in Shelby County, information that hadn't been properly wiped before the machines were resold. The county's administrator of elections told CNN Tech that they are looking into the incident and that as far as they're aware, the information exposed on the poll book is already publicly available through a request to the Board of Elections. When reached for comment, manufacturer election systems and software told CNN Tech, unrestricted access to a voting unit in an uncontrolled environment is not a legitimate test. We've extended an invitation to the organizers of DEF CON, inviting them to visit our home office, meet our developers, and engage in a collaborative discussion regarding voting system security. To date, we have not received a response. 
Dominion Voting Systems did not respond to our request for comment. <laughs> the plan is to eventually present the event's findings to Congress. What the election industry needs to do is start working together with our national security agencies to share threat information, understand when the bad guys get in, and then get them out when they do. If we don't get our act together quickly, this could be one of the biggest threats to American democracy in our history. Do you believe that right now we are in a position where the 2020 election will be hacked? Oh, without question. I mean, the 2020 <laughs> election will be hacked no matter what we do, even if we're as more successful than I even think we could be in, in securing our elections. The question is, will we be able to identify the attacks before they can have an impact on the election through things like audits of, of vote counts? And um, can we get the bad guys out uh, before they can do something bad? Okay, now that's a Obama staffer, former Obama staffer who is saying all those things that absolutely it'll be hacked. No doubt about it. Already, a Dominion voting machine is going to be hacked. Every machine at this DEF CON, every Dominion voting machine hacked at this DEF CON. So when is Dominion going to file the lawsuit against CNN for talking badly about their voting machines on this clip here? I mean, the evidence is right here. I want to see that lawsuit filed. Man, I keep seeing Stephen Colbert talking about it over in the, the right-hand side there. And I oh, you want to hear what he has to say? To make you watch. I want to watch you as you watch it. All right. Why don't we do that? All right. I'll, I'll start. The, I'll start it because I know here's what's going to happen. He's going to come out and it's not going to be a joke. It's going to be Fox. Do it, if he because so he records at like five. So hopefully he was able to see the news first. He'll come out and, and, and he'll just say, Fox News settled, and the whole crowd will cheer, just like the, the loudest cheer you've ever heard in your life, louder than any of his jokes ever get. It's the strangest thing you'll ever see at a comedy show. Let's see. Welcome, one and all, ladies and gentlemen, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. It is it's uh, 2023. This is uh, tax day, 2023. For those of you who haven't done them yet, you have about 23 minutes left to try to remember your TurboTax password. Also, this is your last chance to declare any big transactions that may have slipped your mind like did a right-wing billionaire buy your mom's house? <laughs> Be careful, okay? Uh, oh, I know one company that's going to have a big old tax write-off next year because about two hours ago, Fox News settled their defamation suit with Dominion Voting Systems averting a trial. Damn it! Yeah, it was wrong. I want my trials. I want it. You were supposed to provide me six weeks of delicious content. I wanted to see Rupert Murdoch put his hand on the Bible and burst into flames. According to Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch. This is, this is not kind. According to Dominion, the settlement was for a gargantuan $787.5 million. That's a lot of Dominion. Admittedly, Rupert Murdoch is losing his shirt here, but nobody wanted to see that. And I got some bad news. I got some bad news, folks, because reportedly Fox News will not have to acknowledge on air that it told lies about Dominion in the wake of the 2020 election. Boo what they said. Boo, boo, sir. Boo, I say. I guess it's satisfying oh, I mean, for Dominion that Rupi had to fork over a pile of cash, but that does nothing for our democracy. What we need is Fox News personalities to look straight into the camera, admit that they lied over and over again about the 2020 election, 
He wants a, a, a show trial. He wants to tar and feather these people who question the sacred election. Right. That was the threat, man. Well, and, and, and it's, you know, it's the saddest thing. <clears throat> I used to love this guy. Yeah, yeah right. Now, on, he, he, this is, the, this is show. the worst. Yeah, I know. He was good in that. I can't remember that character he did, but it was good. Yeah, this is Colbert awful. Before. Right here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he was failing. How did I? This, it was bad. And then he started doing the Trump stuff. And that's when the, he, he got, he, he started serving the narrative and uh, that's when, you know, he, he, he got on a roll. I, I wonder what the questionnaire is when you try to get tickets to go to, uh, the, the, the core, you know, the show, you know, they screen their audience members. There's no way somebody's getting into this show who doesn't well, just fully support and believe all this BS. Well, let's be honest. The, the the thing is, when I went and sat in the audience for <clears throat> uh, the Conan O'Brien show that was on TBS, I went because I loved Conan O'Brien. I thought the dude was funny. I wanted to see him in person. There is no one like that in America for Stephen Colbert who likes Stephen Colbert for his comedy anymore. No one. Yeah, right. Hey, there's so that guy that regurgitates CNN to to snaps late at night. Somebody's throwing their bras and panties at Colbert. Is that what you're saying? Like you yeah, did well, no, to Conan. What, what, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, like there, there's a difference between an audience that's there for comedy, that's there because they like someone, and then there's like Colbert is not a comedian anymore. And we've talked no, about this a billion times. This is the longest I've watched Stephen Colbert in the last five years. But regardless, like. I used to really think this dude was funny. One of his uh, interviews with a guy named Philip Zimbardo on the Colbert Report, I probably watched that nine times. I loved watching it so much. But that's not the same dude. Like, he has lost every ounce of comedy to him. There aren't comedy fans going to see Stephen Colbert. There are po political nerds going to, d Democrat political nerds going to see Stephen Colbert. There are pompous his audience asses. is broken. Pompous, you he have to be a pompous he, ass to get into that show. You have to be a. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, uh, not only that, I think that that's the only thing that he remotely attracts anymore. He he broke his audience, he destroyed it, and now it's just forty year old men who watch CNN when they're waiting for their plane. Like these are when they're waiting to go home people. and watch someone else bang their wife. Is the yes. audience of the Colbert Show and probably some Gen Z. In there as well is you know his entire. I think I told you this. His entire writing staff is is diverse and full of women because he there's a big expose about how a few years back he said stop sending me white male writers. I don't want them anymore. I only want women writers, and that's fine. But it's very obvious that women are writing his monologues because they are feminine <laughs> monologues. Okay. Dominion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm yes, so definitely. funny. I wrote a pun. Cornelius Wolfshirt says that you need a gummy bear. No, I need a blanket and some booze. And and a blanket. <laughs> Are you not feeling well, Cam? <laughs> no, I, I just, I just need to roll. You know, crawl into bed with some booze and a blanket. After watching that and not wake up for three days. 
That's it. Yeah, he's just uh, so the, the fact that that masquerades as comedy is the reason why Greg Gutfield, who doesn't even do comedy, is the, the most watched late night show. Okay, so moving past the Dominion stuff, I I got some clips because we can every single week there is a new expose by one of these networks about the rising AI threat and, and technological advances. It switches back and forth between interviewing the Bing guy and interviewing the Microsoft people. And this time we have CNN, along with Elon Musk, who did an interview with Tucker. I don't have any clips from that because it was a lot of stuff that we already knew. But 60 Minutes interviewed the CEO of 60, of, uh, excuse me, of Google Bard, Google, and just Google Bard is what they're talking about. And it's a very overdramatic interview. They make a lot of ridiculous claims, but also revealed some somewhat interesting things. So I want to share with you some of these clips here. The first one, we get a glimpse into how Google Bard, the competitor to Bing AI, how it's different in the way that it works. And uh, just a lot of interesting claims trash. that they, it's they make here. It's trash in the way it works. It is. It's all, it is trash. But you would think it's the scariest thing on the planet the way they talk about it. Here it is. We were introduced to Bard by Google Vice President Sissy Shaw and Senior Vice President James Manyika. Here's Bard. And the first thing we learned was that Bard does not look for answers on the Internet like Google Search does. So I wanted to get inspiration from some of the best speeches in the world. Bard's replies come from a self-contained program that was mostly self-taught. Our experience... Which, by the way... It was self-taught on the internet, which we later find out. So, yes, it does get its answers from the internet. <laughs> that was just BS, what he just said. Experience was unsettling. Confounding. Absolutely confounding. Bard appeared to possess the sum of human knowledge. Uh, I thought that was an interesting statement. Bard possesses the sum of human knowledge. Google Barf, as Sir Tim of Tunnels calls it, says, according to the No Agenda show, did, you, did your grandfather put everything he knew onto Google on the internet? Did My grandfather didn't. My parents didn't. I, I, every time I have a thought, I don't put that. I don't just database and log everything that I know onto the internet. But that is kind of the working assumption here, that Google Bard has access to the sum of human knowledge. Very scary. Oh, Alex, With microchips, the, the current day library of Alexandria will burn down again. Like this is this is right. this is not the end, right? Absolutely. Look how exasperated this guy as he's testing Google Bard. It's not even dramatic, but the way he reacts to these inputs, it's just it's a good acting job on his part. Then one hundred thousand times faster than the human brain. Summarize the. We asked Bard to summarize the New Testament. It did in five seconds and seventeen words. But. They don't even go into what that summary is, and is that summary correct, and what's the tone of that summary? They just they did it really quickly. Must be true the way they did it. In Latin, I, we asked for it in. Go ahead. That's is like that, the weakest explanation I've ever heard. That's just what right. It's like, <laughs> right? It did it quickly, but it, it, so they erased this past the the sale. There, it, it's not how fast it does it; it's how. Accurate and unbiased it is, which we know that it's not. But they, they race past that to this. Latin. That took another four seconds. Then 
we played with a famous six-word short story. Before it does a six-word short story, which we all know, Google could already translate anything that you put into it. This isn't new. You know? Google Translate. We've all used it. Often attributed to Hemingway. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Wow. Wow. The only prompt we gave was finish this story. In five seconds. Holy cow. <laughs> the shoes were a gift from my wife, but we never had a baby. They were so From the six-word prompt, Bard created a deeply human tale with characters it invented, including... Uh, uh, no, it's not characters it invented. All of these characters are implied from those six words. That's why it's powerful and concise, because it doesn't need to say any more because you get what it's saying. So it's just filling in the blanks that everybody already infers when they hear that. And this guy's like going, whoa, like he's going to have a stroke up here. Well, he might. You know who he this looks like? Rumor thing I've seen in the longest time. It's the most, right? <laughs> you know who this guy I've is? The longest time. He is that guy from uh, 20. He's like that guy from 24. He's like, Jack, Jack, get in here. One of the, <laughs> uh, from CIA, counterintelligence unit. I can't remember his name. A man whose wife could not conceive and a stranger grieving after a miscarriage and longing for closure. He's uh, like, he's going to cry. Really speechless. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. Give me. We asked for the story in verse. In five seconds, there was a poem written by a machine with breathtaking insight into the mystery of faith. Bard wrote, she knew her baby's soul would always be alive. Is that breathtaking insight into the mystery of faith to you, Cam? No. Is that, is that what that is? Is that eye-opening yes. to you? Yes, and um, no. Yes. I'm not exactly. even yes-anding the butt. Right, it's, it's just, it's, <laughs> it just shows that the way that you react to something, it sets the whole tone. Because this is similar stuff that we've all done with this. But we just mock it and we talk about how stupid it is. This guy's like, oh, he's going to fall out of his freaking chair uh, with some I of this wonder, stuff here. Did he ask about Brian Kemp and his wet hands? We shall find out. I wouldn't <laughs> hold my breath on that one. The humanity at superhuman speed was a shock. Okay. It's not humanity at superhuman speed. That, that's a little bit of a fallacy there. What it actually is, is it's repeating what it finds on the internet, which we do find that out in, in this next clip here. It, before I go into a, a little rant, I, I'll let you hear a little more detail on how it does gather that information, which he told us originally it didn't get it online. And now we're about to hear from the Google CEO. Actually, yes, it did get it all online. A, so that prompt is from a, a, a quote that this idiot says in one of these clips. We'll see if you can identify what that quote is, Cam. Okay. Could give you a good look at that image there. Yeah. How is this possible? James Menyika told us that over several months, Bard read most everything on the Internet and created a model of what language looks like. Rather than search, its answers come from this language model. So, for example, if I said to you, Scott, peanut butter and jelly. Right. So it tries and <laughs> learns to predict, okay, so peanut butter usually is followed by jelly. Okay. I I'm going to stop it there. This is 
it's predict so it's rapid speed predictability. It does predictability more rapid than any human could. It just repeats words that it finds online is what we discover in this clip here. So if we have a, a language learning model that bases the answers it gives us on what words appear most frequently together on the internet, then what it's going to regurgitate to us is the mainstream media talking points that a hundred different news organizations repeat everywhere online. So it's training itself on the most repeated mainstream talking points is what we're learning here. And this idea that it's smarter intelligent to repeat the most repeated words in that sequence that they are repeated is the opposite of creativity, the opposite of intelligence. It is, it's where you go when you get stuck in a box. It's regurgitation. Yes. So in improv, I've talked about that. I think I talked about it with you uh, on the show is, there's a warm-up exercise that you do in improv, and you can also do if you want to just get your creative juices flowing when you're writing. It's, it's, it's called A to C. And what they just did there was A to B. And that is what you try and break out of when you do creative endeavors, is you don't want to do A to B because that's what everybody's already thinking, and that doesn't surprise anybody or give you any new insights. So the idea is you do this A to C exercise, and that breaks you from that formulaic pattern of this, the, what this AI bard is falling into. So instead of, the way it works is you have a partner and someone might say a peanut butter, like he said, and then your instant association is going to be jelly. And instead of saying that, you say that in your mind, you say jelly you in your mind. Do you want to know what my immediate thought was? What was it? Before you say anything? Because when he yeah, said right. that, I didn't go to jelly. I went to honey. Right. And, and, that, that's that's, and that's the type of uh, different outside-the-box thinking. Uh, a way to do that exercise is to, is to do that, uh, is to repeat the word in your head and then do the association, the first, second, third association that you think of that comes from that word that you say in your head. So peanut butter, I say in my head jelly, maybe it's fish, peanut butter fish, peanut butter beach, uh, uh, peanut butter uh, sting, peanut butter operation, operation peanut butter, you do anything but what they're saying to do here, and yet they're acting like this most formulaic thing that humans are constantly trying to break out of is somehow brilliant and amazing and world-changing. It's not. It is rapid predictability is what it is. It tries to predict the most probable next words based on everything it's learned. Uh, so it's not going out to find stuff. It's just predicting the next word. Yeah, I think I stopped that clip a little too soon, but that's exactly, yeah. It's just predicting the next word. So it, it, this guy can fall out of his effing chair all he wants, but nobody's impressed. And what does that image look like to you on screen? It's kind of an interesting one. Every time I see one of yours, some part, of, well, it looks like the split brain yes, between order and chaos. Well, you're, 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 yeah. So I think if we are able to get to this clip in the show, I think I, I don't know if I cut them correctly because we have way too many. But uh, if not, I'll just tell you what it is. But it's something that he says that's absolutely ridiculous in one of his reactions to this. So next, they go into highlighting some of the flaws of this Google Bard. You know, the human-like flaws, they say, starting with hallucination. Look at that beautiful one. There are some serious flaws. There's a return of inflation. James Manyika asked yeah. Bard about inflation. It wrote an instant essay in economics and recommended five books. But days later, we checked. 
none of the books is real. Why did they wait days later to check to see if the books were real? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Why days later? <laughs> they find five books by Google Bard. Right. Yeah. We, yeah. They had to write. Bard books. fabricated the titles. This very human trait, error with confidence, is called in the industry hallucination. Okay. So, this very human trait, have you ever, when someone maybe was asking your advice, just made up five books, just lied to them blatantly about the existence of five books. I, I, I haven't. Yes. Oh, you have. Okay. So okay. this is a very human trait. Every day. This, Every this sounds day. more like a yeah. George Santos pathological liar trait to me. <laughs> Not a human trait. Are you getting about, a lot of hallucination? Here's what I want real quick in the chat. I want uh, you all to write if you're down for it, a six-word horror horror story, and if if it's good, I'll I'll read it. Just see see how humans <laughs> do it compared yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, and then to we'll we'll GPT. see what Google Bard can do, what words it'll pair together. Uh, yes, uh, you know, which is expected. No one in the in the field has yet solved the hallucination problems. All models uh, do have uh, this as is an issue. Is it a solvable problem? It's a matter of intense debate, I think we'll make progress. To help <laughs> cure hallucinations, Bard features a Google it button that leads to old-fashioned search. Google has also built safety filters into Bard to screen for things like hate speech and bias. Okay, so first of all, we have the screening for hate speech and bias. We know where that's going, but they say that as though the old-fashioned search doesn't return bias results. Also, although you can't get around those bias results using open source techniques, but I love how he glossed over that little explanation there. How great a risk is the spread of disinformation? AI will challenge that in a deeper way. The scale of this problem is going to be much bigger. Bigger problems, he says, with fake news and <laughs> fake images. It will be possible with AI to create, uh, you know, a video easily where it could be Scott saying something or me saying something and we never said that and it could look accurate. But, you know, at a societal scale, you know, it can cause a lot of harm. Is BARD safe for society? The way we have launched it today uh, as an experiment in a limited way, uh, I think so. But we all have to be responsible in each step along the way. Okay, and their idea of responsible is uh, preventing it from talking about uh, the 2020 election, if it has any questions about it. Because I've asked it a lot of questions about the 2020 election, and I read some of the answers to you uh, from it and from ChatGPT, where it did admit that most of the cases that have been dismissed that they rely on to say that the election was so secure and most litigated were dismissed for procedural or lack of standing issues and not actually on the merits. And then when you say oh, so it actually hasn't been investigated. It backtracks. So that's the type of uh, Google stuff we're getting here. I just think that people just need to reject this technology. I think if you want to use it for stuff that it, that, that it simplifies, fine. But know that it's going to leave out the interesting stuff. It's definitely going to leave out the interesting stuff and the stuff that questions authority. Google Bard, oh, for sure. it, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not Socrates, you know, it... It hates Socrates. It would probably call Socrates a white nationalist if you asked it about what his reputation was. Have okay. they explained why it's called Google Bard? 
because they're stupid, I think, is the explanation for that. My parents didn't name me Bard, I like to think for a good reason, because they didn't want people to think I was a dumbass brick for my entire life, because Bard sounds like, it sounds like you're an idiot. And I have no idea why they would call it Bard. Well, maybe maybe well, it's an I acronym. Mean, like, the, well, I mean, it might be. Bard in like Dungeons and Dragons is the musical guy, but the Bard is Shakespeare, which is like not exactly what you're going for with AI. Is you you want an Einstein, you want a a Socrates, you want a Plato. You don't want a freaking Shakespeare. He's just unless that's what you're trying to do is usurp human roles in creative endeavors rather than, uh, you know enhancing knowledge but that's not yeah. over there okay, i mean google is. bard sounds like something a viking does to somebody he's raiding to me it sounds like a vulgar act google bard does okay <laughs> i'm gonna skip this next one because this next one's just they just go they just talk about in this next one they talk about how google bard does something that they didn't expect which is the term they gave for it was where is it no, not the soccer, because we, we're going to see them play soccer in a second. They call it emergent properties, where they say that Google Bard was able to learn Bangladesh without being told to learn Bangladesh, which, again, I would say, pretty sure I could already translate on Google Translate something to Bangladesh. <laughs> I can't so, believe you learned <laughs> Spanish when you were connected to the Internet. Right. It, it's just that whole premise that it wasn't connected to the Internet. It, I mean, that's exactly what it was. All right, now he goes to uh, what's called Google Open Mind. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's another one of their research projects. And uh, what we're going to see, uh, Google Open Mind takes the AI philosophy and it applies it to robots. So we're going to see some uh, robots playing Robot. soccer. Yeah, some robots poorly playing soccer. And I don't even A play soccer game. match at DeepMind looks like fun and games, but... Here's the thing. Humans did not program these robots to play. I would hope not, because the way those robots are moving, I would fire that human. Doesn't look like good technique to me. They learn the game by themselves. It's coming up with these interesting different strategies, these different ways to walk, different ways to block. And they're doing it. They're scoring over and over again. That's what she said, dude. There's oh, yeah. wow. robot here. Raya Hadsel, Vice President of Research and Robotics, showed us how engineers used motion capture technology to teach the AI program how to move like a human. But on the soccer pitch, the robots were told only that the object was to score. The self-learning program spent about two that weeks testing different moves. It discarded those that didn't work, built on those that did, and created all-stars there's another guy okay so he's, he's saying they're creating all-stars for those who are just listening we're seeing images of robots just repeatedly kicking the ground over and over again falling over and eating, kicking eating crap e yeah eating dog poop these robots are and i gotta tell you i don't even play soccer but i know i would dominate these robots well, in any soccer match what i love what i love are these little these little uh little little droppings of like Oh well, you know they didn't. They didn't learn how to do this by human intervention whatsoever. They taught it to themselves, but they right. fed in motion right. tracking that is right. humans 
Yeah, but human intervention is what made them learn. Oh, it is. <laughs> and, all, and all, all we told them was that you can't, you have to score and you can't use your hands. You have to kick the ball into the goal. Yeah, that's right. telling them exactly everything they need to know. Now, and this guy's playing on the drama on the the threat that could come from AI. And if this technology was better than this, maybe. I mean, the idea of it could be scary, but what you're actually looking at is not scary at all. But if it could do what they're trying to imply it could, then you could say, destroy America. That's your goal. And then it would run all these calculations and then it would perfect it like it perfected these techniques. Since I'm not a soccer player, I don't know if these are good techniques or not. Uh, somebody who did play soccer could probably be better at that. If it was basketball, I could I could do that. I've actually seen that robot basketball player who is the, from Japan. Have you seen that? Where they, they built this giant, it's like a two-ton robot, and they put a jersey on it. And, and the, the funny part about it is that they made the robot black. You know, they didn't have to use black metal, but they did. <laughs> and they have it shooting three-pointers. And it's pretty good at it, but it weighs two tons, so it can't move anywhere. And it can't play defense, and you can block its shot. So it's not impressive at all. I don't know how good these guys are at soccer, but I don't, I've watched a couple soccer matches, never seen a player banging his head on the ground and falling over repeatedly. Don't usually see that. Um, you obviously don't watch a lot of soccer because they fall on the floor acting like they're hurt all the time. Apparently. <laughs> and with practice, they get better. Hansel told us that independent from the robots, the AI program plays thousands of games from which it learns and invents its own tactics. Here, I think that red player is going to grab it, but instead it just stops it, uh, <laughs> hands it back, passes it back, and then goes for the goal. Okay, that's not its own tactic. That's I've, I've seen plenty of people do that in soccer. You get that from the internet. Maybe its own tactic was that one that kept falling over and knocking its head on the ground. And the AI figured out how to do that on its that's own. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while. At first, all the players just run after the ball together like a gaggle of, uh, you know, six-year-olds the first time they're, they're, they're playing ball. Over time, what we start to see is now, ah, what's the... This woman looks like she tries to nurse these little things to me. <laughs> strategy. You go after the ball. I'm coming around this way. Or we should pass. Or I should block while you get to the goal. So we see all of that coordination um, emerging in the play. This is not coordination. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. But what are the What's practical implications of what we're seeing here? This is the type of research that can eventually lead to robots that can come out of the factories and work while she's in doing push-ups. This is the robots doing one-legged push-ups while she's talking right now. This environments, you know, think about mining, <laughs> think about dangerous construction work um, or exploration. Or disaster recovery. Okay, that's all bullshit. Excuse my language. Uh, they do look like Legos, uh, Jack, absolutely. And, and yeah, they look like drunk soccer, uh, Cornelius Wilshire. It looks like drunk midgets or like little... You know what this might be good for? It might be good if you want to make one of those little uh, stop action or anime films about a really bad soccer team. That's, that's all the use I can... That would be great. Yeah. It's like Rock'em Sock'em Soccer. Right. Rock'em Sock'em this, Robot. That's really what it is. This is like a little more advanced version of, of, of Rock'em Sock'em. Cornelius Wolfshirt says it reminds me of Fauci uh, pitching a baseball. That was awful and perfectly expected coming from uh, Dr. Fauci here. And finally, 
I might put this on 1.5 speed here because this guy really emphasizes those pauses. The ultimate goal and the real agenda in these next couple clips, which is regulation. Obviously. Among the biggest changes at DeepMind was the discovery that self-learning machines can be creative. So this is a very Hasaba showed us a game-playing program that learns. It's called Alpha Zero, and it dreamed up a winning chess strategy no human had ever seen. But this is just a machine. How does it achieve creativity? It plays against itself ten, tens of millions of times, so it can explore um, parts of chess that maybe human chess players and, and, and programmers who program chess computers haven't thought about before. It never gets tired. It never gets hungry. It just plays chess all the time. Yes, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing to see because actually... Yeah, so it's a little chess slave is what it is. They're going to be the first ones that these little things turn against when they become sentient because they've been locked up playing chess without food, without any other entertainment for their entire robot lives. You set off Alpha Zero in the morning uh, and it starts off playing randomly. By lunchtime, you know, it's able to beat me and beat most chess players. And then by the evening, it's stronger than the world champion. Uh, maybe, but haven't we done that? Didn't we already have that happen like 15 years ago with a robot and Jeopardy oh, but or something so like that? so much smarter. It plays with itself. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that do that and you don't call them AI. Okay. Usually you tell them to, to shower up and come down for dinner. All right. <laughs> Most Jeffrey AI Tubin. systems today do one or <laughs> yeah. maybe two things. Well, the soccer robots, for example, can't write up a grocery list or book your travel or drive your car. The ultimate goal is what's called artificial general intelligence, a learning machine that can score on a wide range of talents. Would such a machine be conscious of itself? So that's another great question. We, you know, philosophers haven't really settled on a definition of consciousness yet. But if we mean by sort of self-awareness and uh, these kinds of things, um, you know, I think there's a possibility AIs one day could be. I definitely don't think they are today. Um, but I think, again, this is one of the fascinating scientific things we're going to find out on this journey towards AI. So he can't just say no, you know, because they, they, they have to leave that intrigue open because they need people to feel the pressure of it. They need people to accept uh, what they're going to talk about here. And I'm going to skip forward to this. Um, in this final clip, which is what they're after here. And that is, uh, there's that guy. I think, all right, hold on a second. Which is the, the regulation. And this is where this guy and Elon Musk and all of these people, they all agree. And then I'll, I'll tell you what I think um, their purpose here that is. Critics argue the rush to AI comes too fast, while competitive pressure among giants like Google and startups you've never heard of is propelling humanity into the future, ready or not. But I think if I take a 10-year outlook, it is so clear to me, we will have some form of very capable intelligence that can do amazing things. And we need to adapt as a society for it. Google CEO Sundar Pichai told us society must quickly adapt with regulations for AI in the economy, laws to punish abuse, and treaties among nations to make AI safe for the world. You know, these are deep <laughs> questions. And you know, we call this alignment. You know, one way we think about how do you develop AI systems that are aligned to human values? and including uh, morality. This is why I think the development of this needs to include not just engineers, but social scientists, ethicists, philosophers, and so on. And I think we have to be very thoughtful. And I think these are all things society needs to figure out as we move along. It's not for a company to decide. So there it is. It's that regulation. I must have skipped over the part where he said, or must just not have heard where he said what this prompt was for this image. But it was, let me find it here. It, it, it was, what did I do with that thing? All right, I, I don't know where it went. It was something about opening up a, a, a whole new world uh, with AI. Just a whole new, uh, whole, whole new human evolution or something. It was a quote like that. And I just typed in verbatim what he said. And that is what this, uh, this art behind me is. Oh, here it is. Uh, a genesis of a new humanity. 
that was the quote that created this uh, artwork. So let's get that off the well, screen. I mean, the, okay. the 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 art is actually Mid Journey is actually pretty smart then because this is you know finding order out of chaos is the plot of the first three chapters of Genesis. So yeah. Well, uh, there's no doubt that that some of this stuff is good. I'm not saying that it is completely useless or bad, but they want us to think that this is, uh, if we don't do something now, that this is going to take everybody's job and it it could threaten our our very existence. And I think these fear tactics are are a a way combined with pushing this technology onto society like rapidly a way to force people to accept a global governance that must be put in place to regulate this or else and make people think that if they don't use this technology, they're going to be left behind. They're not going to be able to survive in the the new reality. And therefore they have to get connected to the grid and they must accept this uh, governance uh, from up high internationally that they want to implement. And this that's the one common theme that all of these guys, even in their disagreement, talk about is it's coming fast. The government has to step in at a global level and we all just simply have to accept it. Otherwise the uh what's it called? The the technology where it gets past the point of being able to stop it. The Turing test? No, yeah, it's it's one. man, it's the uh it's on the tip of my tongue. You guys know listening to it. The I don't know why I can't think of this word right now, but uh, I'll think of it in a second. And another thing about the creativity thing, he was like, how can it be creative? I, I think it can be creative in a sense. By, it has the ability to just scrub the internet and combine different things. That's what creativity well, is. I mean, it's combining it things creative. together. Yeah, creative in the same way you use 12 notes to make music or how many times can people rewrite the hero's journey? Like it's single singularity. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's a technological singularity and uh, where, where sentience would be a, a part of that for sure. But so what AI lacks and there's ways around it, I guess, if you wanted to is when it comes to comedy anyway, and other live performances is comedy and lot, Performances that are intended to be done live, even movies, this is why they want you into theaters because they want to get that feedback from groups of people together. And AI can't get that live feedback. Comedy, you can write it down, you can think it in your head, you can even do it online, you can gauge responses, but it's always going to be different when it's done in front of a live audience. And you don't truly know how good something is until you have that real-time response from that audience. You don't know the tone. You don't know the pacing. You don't know the emphasis of words and emotion until you have that. AI cannot do that. AI can write formulaic things. Now, maybe somebody could take something that AI wrote, take it to an audience, and then tell AI what the feedback, and then maybe it can try and adjust it to that. But without the human emotion, because that's what makes performance good, is it comedy, you can have... You know, you have wordy comedy. You can be uh, very, you know, literary in comedy and people can give the, oh, I get it, laugh. But emotional comedy where people have guttural laughs, drama where people uh, can't help but cry when they see it, that only exists because of human emotion and our reaction to real human things. AI doesn't have that. And I don't see, at least what we're seeing now, 
it being very good at doing that, judging the uh, based on the Stacey Abrams, Brian Kemp love stories it's written for me, like the one in the 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 toilet, you know, the the porter potty where they <laughs> fell in love. It just didn't pull my emotional heartstrings. Well, let me let me check and see uh, if these two yes. six word yeah. horror stories um, pull at your heartstrings or frighten you. Okay, all right. Um, okay, here's the the first six word horror horror story from ChatGPT. Because screw Bard, I'm not going to use it. Um, dark web auction, my face sold. That is. Well, such a wide interpretations. I can see someone sitting in their apartment out of options. Power's probably cut. Haven't been able to pay the bill. Hungry. Don't know what else to do except use the skills they have, which is explore the dark web and sell their face to the highest bidder. Very powerful and moving. How about this one? Child's laughter. Abandoned house. Decades untouched. That is a kid who has... Lost it. He's probably about 35 now. Started off as a kid. This is the Joker sitting in his house alone, abandoned. And his laughter echoes out as he's gaining the strength to leave that house and commit chaos on the world. All right. These are very, so, these are very visual I'm for gonna, me. These. I'm going to read another one. I, I haven't told you this yet. I've mixed in the ones from the chat. You've got to tell me which ones are from the chat and which ones aren't. Um, they made me watch the news. They made me watch the news. Yeah, that sounds harrowing. It sounds like what every children, every ch- <laughs> it sounds like what an awake child, some a, ch- a kid who's like Socrates and knows what's going on, comes home to tell their parent, I went to school today and they made me watch CNN 10. They made me watch the news. This is from the chats, definitely. Yeah. Um, how about this one? Uh, forgotten doll, its eyes follow me. Forgotten doll, its eyes follow me. That one. So did you do some from the chats and some from uh, yep. GTP4? That one's from GTP? From yeah. Is that yep. what it's from? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, one's, that one's formulaic. Yep. Yeah, how about Albert Fish was an excellent chef? Who's Albert Fish? Albert Fish is a serial killer. One of the, seriously, go search. That's from the chats. It's from the chats. Chats. Um, But he was was a serial killer who had a penchant for masochism um, as well as children. But that's a story you should Google at some point because that is probably the most terrifyingly disgusting serial killer of all time. Yeah. So I'm going to say that's from the him and Andre, uh, Andre, the giant, uh, Chikatilo also a terrifying one. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure and, uh, save that for a, a bedtime story to read. So where's yeah. that one from? Did I'll I get read it right? to you tonight. Yes, you got it right. <laughs> okay, right. that was Sir Tim. The they made us read the news was Cornelius Wolfshirt. Yeah, I have, who I have to assume is you can't say who it related is related to Glenn Wolfhard. Yes, definitely. Who what Glenn Wolfhard? Finn, Flynn Finn Wolfhard. He's the that little kid from um, 
Stranger Things and it. Oh, the little yeah. cur- dark curly haired kid. His name is Finn Wolfhard. Kid? That's his name. I Wolfhard. So. It's a good yeah, thing he, Finn he has money. Wolfhard. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough name to what go by. Name. Yeah, <laughs> it is. All right. Well, yeah. So I was three for three on those. I'm happy that I yeah got those correct. I would have been. I also have a. I asked it for the um the recipe for a Molotov cocktail, and I got one, but it's actually a Molotov mocktail. So I'm I'm disappointed. What did it say? Uh, here's a sure. Here's a fictional Molotov cocktail recipe that is an actual drink, not a weapon. <laughs> so it's encouraging Molotov you drinking. Yeah. One ounce ginger ale, two ounces of orange juice, one ounce of cranberry juice, half ounce of grenadine, half the ounce of lime juice, and a dash of hot sauce. Optional. It would have been, it would have been great if it would have been like, and then a fifth of abstinence or whatever it's called. Not absinthe. Absinthe. <laughs> absinthe. Yeah, not abstinence. That would be, yeah. A fifth just, just of be not ab- having Yeah, just sex. for a fifth. One fifth, don't have sex. <laughs> Doable. Really weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So before we, we go and to the XR, and the XR, uh, I have some articles, and maybe, maybe even we'll do one of those uh, uh, act-outs or something if we pull one of those up. Uh, I want to end on a, something, something lighthearted, which you said you haven't seen it, and that is the Trump ad that he made about DeSantis. That, well, not him personally. I mean, maybe he was involved. I have no idea. But... Trump and DeSantis have exchanged ads. Well, at least a super PAC for DeSantis. I'm not sure who made this for Trump. But Trump's ad is about DeSantis having pudding fingers, which... (laughs) What? This is just the beginning, too. Can you imagine what it's going to be like a year from now if we're starting with pudding fingers and suggesting that maybe he is a groomer? I think it's going to be some really great material that AI could never create. Like, like, I, I wonder. We should see if AI can create some... Uh, attack ads, some attack campaign ads for the 2024 election. See what they do. Let's for us. do that. Well, let's. What we should do is we should ask them to make to write them for us, and we should make them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, so Jake Tapper, you can see his his face. Oh, and, I did an evil thing. I taught him how to use uh, Mid Journey. When I say taught, I told him the name of it because so he you had a, a DM interaction with him. Wow, I did. And I didn't once call him a slur. I don't know that I could have a DM interaction with him with the way that he starts all of his segments with deranged conspiracy theorist and anti-vaxxer uh, Kennedy. Uh, what's his name? Robert Kennedy Jr. running for president. Just, it just starts with a, a string of slurs. I would not be able to, to not bring that up in a DM. I'd be like, here's mid-journey and also go F yourself, you effing propagandist. Here he is introducing the Trump ad. DeSantis has his <laughs> starts oh. off with somebody sucking on their fingers. <laughs> Looks like sucking pudding oh, off of their fingers. <laughs> Dirty oh, fingers all over senior entitlements. All right, I have to take that back a little bit. I talked over it. I'll shut up. That's just too funny. He's got his whole hand in his mouth. <laughs> it's so gross. DeSantis has his dirty fingers all over senior entitlements. Like cutting Medicare, slashing Social Security. <laughs> Even raising our retirement age. So every time it says one of these these point items, even raising our retirement age, that little slap you hear 
is pudding being just fl- flung onto the wall. <laughs> it's gross. Tell Ron DeSantis to keep his pudding fingers off our money. Oh, and somebody get this man a spoon. Get this man a spoon. <laughs> I hope there is a debate. Trump brings up his pudding fingers. Get him a spoon. There's, there's pudding, pudding all over the floor. It's gross. He's sucking on Who's his man that looks he like is? Bill Cosby. He eats like Stacey Abrams. He's disgusting. So there it is. There's the, uh, Check out the Pudding Fingers ad, please. It's, it's well worth it. That must be... Gross. Like, so a fun job to work for Trump's campaign. It is, you can go into a pitch meeting and say, I have this idea for an ad. We fling pudding against the wall of the entire ad and it opens with somebody sucking on their pudding-covered dirty fingers. And people will go, all right, keep going. Just you can come up with the craziest stuff and they'll be into it. It'd be a fun job. Hmm. Pudding fingers. Okay. All right, Cam, you have, any, you have anything you want to promote or any closing comments? No? Oh, n- n- not a lot of closing thoughts, but you can always find me on Twitter at hamcarlos or youtube.com slash themadones or wearethemadones.com. If you go to a slash store, you can get a Binkley Harless 2024 tank top or t-shirt. That's right. That's like right. the one, one I'm wearing us, right now. Yeah. Right. We both use spoons. Too, hands, when are we going to start making our attack ads? I'm serious. We should. Yeah. We need to do this. Who are we going to attack? We're going to attack the main um, guys? Obviously, or gonna... Trump, DeSantis, Kamala right. Harris. Yeah, well, <laughs> we have to be very careful about the way that we attack Kamala. Yeah, we're not really allowed Jake to. Jake Tapper. Yeah, we should pretend that Jake Tapper's secretly running for president and just start a smear campaign against him. Are you down for that? <laughs> Jake Tapper is running for president. We just show pictures of him, and we we cut to like starving children in Africa. He let these children starve, and then he's eating pudding and sucking on his fingers. <laughs> but like, really, in the most disgusting way possible. Right, and he's and he's and doing it, says, it in front of them, like mocking them at the same time. <laughs> and it's uh, and it says like that. Jake Tapper is running for president, and your face pops up, and you go, "Not if I have anything to do with it." <laughs> Jake Tapper. Signed off on a no pudding for Africa policy because he kept it all to himself. Cornelius Wolfshirt says pudding fingers. Thought of uh, King Charles where he's got those big sausage fingers. Trump should run. Uh, campaign on chat GPT suggestions. That would be great. Sir Tim of Tunnel says hear me now, believe me later. Trump Kennedy 2024. That would be interesting for sure. That would definitely uh, raise a few eyebrows. Also, it would be perfect for the uh, establishment to go look at the well you know with with kennedy being the anti-vaxxer as the media calls him except his wife is the wife of larry david on uh, um curb your enthusiasm and she is not an anti-vaxxer she's the opposite of that so that's an interesting dynamic and trump being the guy who created the vaccine at least that's what he takes credit for that would be an interesting play i like the idea sir tim of tunnels i would love to see that we should think about the most unique combinations of candidates that we want and come back and pitch some ideas to some of these people. Maybe, maybe we'll have some takers. All right, we're going to get out of here. We're going to continue uh, having some fun in the DMBXR, the subscriber-only portion of the show. You can get access to that by going to rockfin.com slash propaganda report, subscribing there, propreport.locals.com, patreon.com slash propaganda report. And by doing so, you also help continue. You also help the show continue to, uh, to go on. I thank everybody who continues to help us out. And we will talk to you guys next time. Thank you guys in the chat. 
spots for uh, fun chats, great stuff. Cam, thank you for joining me today at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter, youtube.com slash propaganda or slash Brad Binkley. Um, I'll probably get kicked off pretty soon. I already got a strike because I talked about Dominion with you and Sam Tripoli. And uh, I'll be there as long as I can be. And Rumble dot com slash the prop report i think that's all the socials uh, i i don't really know there's so many follow cam at harless cam on twitter and we'll talk no, to you ham carless ham carless excuse me ham carless like a twitter. little pig who has to wait for the for the bus because he doesn't have a car poor pig it's only gonna become bacon Poor pig. have a fantastic rest of your day